0: The Judgment of the Church is the title of message number two of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, The Church and the World of the Future. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's scripture text is Revelation chapters one and two.
1: You know, I always look at the folks who are coming into the church and I wonder where they're going to be with the Lord ten years from now. Those of you who know me know I spend a great deal of time studying and praying and thinking about the future. And uh, so I always think, well, you know, God, where are they going to be with you in 10 years? Will it be 10 years of maturity? What what are their lives going to be like? And the second thought that I have is if they are still here, if you choose them uh, to still be here at Northland, what will Northland be like 10 years from now? I could not have imagined what this place would have been like 10 years ago. And so I I always wonder what it's going to be like 10 years from now. Not all of the options are positive. Uh, there could be some very troubling times ahead, as a matter of fact. Um, take a look at one scenario.
0: Picture, if you will, the church. Northland Community Church in the year 2005. Not even 10 years from now, but just how have they adjusted to time and growth and the daily drudgery of church life? Picture, if you will, not a pretty picture. Look with me behind the curtain of time at this church in the possible future. We begin with the worship team as they prepare to lead the congregation. Where they're leading them, you decide. We'll listen in as they prepare it. I don't know. Where'd you get that tie? Hey, it's my favorite tie. Back off. It brings me good luck. Where's Eleanor? Oh, she's making copies of a song she wants to do in the set. What song? Let's just love each other forever. What? That's not one that we rehearsed. Yeah, but she's had a lot of solos lately and I felt left out. So we decided this would be a good one because we could both sing it together.
1: All right, whatever you all decided.
0: I guess it's time to pray. Well, wait, first, does anybody else have a problem with my tie?
1: No, Vernon, your tie's fine. It's fine, Vernon. Listen, does anybody remember the sermon that I delivered on strategy based on Acts 1-8? No. No. Uh -uh. Okay, okay, good. Well, that's good, because I didn't finish my notes this week, so i got to do that one over again. Great, okay. Vernon, by the way, how's your voice holding now? Well, it's a little scratchy, but all my
0: songs are on track anyway, so I just will lip-sync oh, today. Oh,
1: great, good, good,
0: good. You guys better get out there. You're late. Oh, gosh, you're right, man. We better go. Let's go. Come on, Teresa. <clears throat> I'm oh. your first, Eleanor. Oh, gosh. Oh, are the cameras on? Well, good morning. It's so great to have you here today. You know, we've got a lot of announcements, so we better move right into them here. Let me tell you, first of all, a couple of bummer things, Um, one of which is that uh, attendance has been somewhat flat now for the 82nd week in a row, and tithing is down by 5%. Can't have that. Ladies, Tuesday is the last day to sign up for our eight-week makeover class. And gentlemen, you're invited to be here this Thursday for that three-hour course called Are You a Millennium Man or Still Stuck in the 90s? Great class. Now, of course, everyone is encouraged to be here this weekend for the dance marathon. We're raising money for, um, uh, what was it? Oh, I don't know. We're raising money for something, so just come and be here at the dance marathon this weekend. And um, Oh, and yes, because Northland has become such a large church, we've decided to expand the new members class to 13 weeks. Now, we've had to cut out a few things, and one of the things we felt like we could kind of just throw away is the testimonies that you give. So no longer will you be required to give a testimony.
1: Vernon, excuse me, I have an announcement.
0: Oh, please, go ahead, Eleanor. I will be singing tonight at the Third Alliance Foursquare Hall, and the tickets will be on sale in the foyer. Well, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't want to miss that, would we? Um, so, um, well, I tell you what, we've got a lot of songs today. They're all really feel-good songs. Yeah. And uh, we started out a little bit late, so let's just go ahead and start and skip the prayer time. The year, 2005. The Church, Northland. The future, you decide.
1: To the angel of the church in
0: Ephesus, write, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your
1: perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. We're going to ask you to make two giant transitions this morning. The first one is a transition from last weekend to this weekend. Last weekend was an emphasis upon worship. This weekend is an emphasis upon content. Last weekend, if you were here, you probably had trouble touching your feet to the ground when you walked out of this place. This weekend, you may have trouble walking upright out of this place. Last weekend, we tried to give you an example of what it would be like to be, in the words of John, chapter 1, verse 10, in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This weekend, as we try to stay true to the Spirit of the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, we are going to preach and teach straight prophecy and evaluation of life. There will not be entertainment. This will not speak nearly to your heart as much as it does to your head, but I hope it gets from your head to your heart. The second giant transition we ask you to make is this one. I have many times preached verse by verse with great detail. We have looked at life many times with a microscope in this place. But we will not do that for the book of Revelation. We will use Revelation to look through a telescope into the future. And what this means is that the details of the Scripture are your responsibility to read. I've given you an outline that hopefully you can go through and you can look into those things with great detail. But I am going to be transitioning from preaching last month Four weeks on one verse to preaching today one sermon on two chapters. Now, this is taking some practice for me. Last night I took an hour to preach. Hopefully, I have gotten it down now to where I can actually let go of some of the details and leave them up to the Holy Spirit and to you. But I certainly want you to see the progression of what Jesus taught in the second and third chapters of Revelation. And then we'll have some time for worship. It says in Revelation chapter two, verse one to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. First thing I want you to realize is that there are angels over churches. Evidently, just as we learn in Matthew 18 that individuals have angels or guardian angels, then we also learn in Revelation that there is an angel for a church. Now, I can't imagine what the church, what the angel of, of Northland looks like. You may want to play with that image for a while. But I do know that what this basically says is that there is a message for the entire church to hear. And knowing God's messages, it will extend to more than just the church. It will extend to the individuals in the church. This will be things that not only our church, but also the larger context, our nation, and the smaller context, our individual relationships will need to hear. Now let me take you through the progression of the messages that, that, the messages that, that Christ has for the churches and His way of confronting them so that they can go through a large change in order to meet up to his standard of maturity now i do this because number one i believe remember the major premise for the book of revelation that we have is that god works in cycles in lessons in history and that and that what is good for the church back then is good for the church now and will be good for the church in the future if the Lord doesn't come again real soon. So therefore, we need to learn this because we evidently haven't learned it yet. Secondly, you need to know that Christ arranges these messages. As, as you have, 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 have read the chapters or will read the chapters this week, He has arranged the chapters and the, and the, and the churches in the chapters as to juxtapose or put right next to each other both the best thing about the church and the worst thing about the church. Now let me tell you why he does that. There are two states in life that you will get to or that you could get to that will allow practically no change whatsoever. On this end of the spectrum, if you ever get to the place where everything is peaceful and disorganized, where everything has, has become chaos and entropy has finally reached its, its state, so to speak your life is at loose ends and nothing makes sense and so on and so forth, there will not be a lot of change out of that situation. As a matter of fact, there is peace in being disorganized. That's why so many people are disorganized that, that stay disorganized. There's peace in there. You just say, uh, can't do anything, you know? Everything has reached its level. Everything is completely disorganized. There won't be a lot of change there. The other end of the spectrum that doesn't allow for a lot of change is when something is completely organized. Something is so well organized that nothing can come in this machine without having its proper place. And anything that comes in, we can handle because we've thought about it ahead of time. There's not going to be a lot of change in that situation. Here's where there is the most potential for works. And those of you who have... Or for change, and those of you who have a background in physics know I'm talking physics right now, just not spiritual principle. Whereas the most potential for change is when you put two things together that are absolutely opposite and they are in conflict with one another. That's when you see the absolute disparity and that's where you get the most uncomfortable and that's where the biggest change will come. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does to the churches. He comes to you and says, you know what you got going for you? You know what you got going against you? And he makes it face one another. That's what he does to our lives. That's what he wants to do with you this morning. He wants you to realize what you have, and he wants you to realize what could take it away. So let me proceed. And I think these churches are addressed in a particular order for a particular reason. I think that they're they're not just addressed in their own individual situation, but there is a progression of deterioration that we can see in our own relationships if we read these churches as a record of what can happen to a particular relationship. First church he goes to is Ephesus. And he says, write to the church of Ephesus this. Basically, let me paraphrase here. You can follow along with me in your scriptures if you want to. Let me paraphrase here. He says, you know what you got going for you? You've worked hard. You've had perseverance. You've not given up. You've held to the faith. He, he mentions perseverance twice, as a matter of fact. And then he stops and he says, but I have this, now watch this, against you. See what he does? You've got this, but I've got this coming against it. That you have lost your first love. Now, when he says you've lost your first love, he's not just talking about the church's love for Jesus. He's talking about the Jesus kind of love, the seeking love, the excited love, the love that will give any price, pay any cost, in order to be with the one it loves. This the The, the shepherd love that goes out after the lamb, leaves the 99, that kind of love. Do you remember, by the way, what it was like when you had the first love with the person that you're now with? What you were like, you would have done anything just to spend five minutes, driven any number of miles just to spend five minutes just in their presence. Remember that? You would have called twenty times a day if you could have. You would have, you would have made up stuff to talk about just to hear their voice. Remember that? That's that first kind of love. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Do you remember what it was like when you first became a Christian? You were ready to storm hell with a squirt gun. You were. You were. You were. You realized what God had done for you. You'd have done anything. Now it's man. Well, I wonder if I can get to church this weekend. Wonder. Wonder if I ought to do something. Where'd it go? Well, they go from that in the relationship. Jesus progresses. The next church he talks to is Smyrna, and he says simply, and I, and I love this about these churches. Only five of them have condemnations. Two of them are in such turmoil right now. Jesus kind of lets them, lets them alone. Says, goes to Smyrna, and says, "You know, I know you're under terrible persecution. Hang in there. You know what? When you're under terrible attack, these are the words of Jesus. Hang in there. We're not, we're not expecting great things. Don't worry about the details. Hang in there right now. You know, until, until you can get." Some, some concentration again. But then he goes to the next one. And the next one is Pergamum. And he looks at this church and he says, well, you've got good deeds and and you have, you have been in a hostile environment. And I'll say this for you. You've held it together in a hostile environment. You've not lost your witness. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you know what? You have permitted bad teaching in your congregation. You are permitting falsehoods to invade the people that are important to you. You have permitted heresy, and I have this against you. Now, let me ask you a question. There was a time when you had the energy to put into your relationships that basically said this. You know what? I want to think this thing through with you. I want to strategize. Let's make a plan. And let's carry through on that plan. And and when something doesn't fit, let's 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 adjust it. Let's let's pay attention. But some of you in your lives right now, some of you in your work, some of you in your families are saying, you know, I'm just too busy with to take mess with the details anymore. I'm just too stinking busy. I got. I. I. I just. I'm just worn out. I just can't do that anymore. Some of you used to follow your kids around, and and when they say something, weird, you say, "Oh, I wonder what that meant." Well, I wonder what he's thinking. Now, if he's not in jail, not on drugs, or not committing, su- not ready to commit suicide, you say, "Well, pff, he's doing pretty good, I think." You know. Some of you, your kids used to tell you stuff and you knew they were fibbing through their teeth. Man, you'd follow it up, you'd nail them. But now as time goes on, they can say, oh yeah, they're chaperones at the party and you never check. Well, I wouldn't want to interfere. You're not thinking anymore. You're not paying attention to the details anymore. Some of you used to plan out what you wanted to serve, what, how you wanted to serve God. Okay, okay God, let's get the play, game plan going here. You know? let's. I'll tell you what. I'll do this and then I'll look for your signal. You know? Now if you can just, well, maybe have a prayer time. Okay, God, uh, bless me today and forgive me for my sins. And you're off. You're not thinking it through anymore. And then he went to the church, Thyatira. And he said... Now here's our problem. You are doing good deeds and you're even improving yourself. I, I like that. You're making improvements. And I know you don't want anything to mess up those improvements. But one of the things I have against you, one of the problems we have together is that there is a woman in your midst who has the character of Jezebel. Very strong, domineering, bully woman. A bully. And she is leading the people astray. She is destroying your group. She's destroying your family. And you haven't got the guts to face her down. You haven't got the courage to confront her. You keep thinking to yourself, well, you know, we can get along. I don't have to really confront her. We'll just kind of go ahead and let her do her own thing. Meanwhile, she continues to destroy the people you love. There are some relationships that as you lose that first idealistic love and as you then fail to think things through together, the next step is you won't confront the people who will destroy the relationships you have. You're afraid. You know them to be domineering. You know them to be bullish, And you just don't want to face up to it. How many of you have a have somebody in your workplace who is absolutely obnoxious? You can you can you can you know kind of slide around and you can say well I can avoid her I can avoid him but you know they're planting poison in your work situation and you won't confront him or her. How many of you have kids who have a friend who is a bully? And you start saying to yourself well you know what I don't want to look like the the imposing parent here. Meanwhile, that kid's intimidating your kid or intimidating a bunch of other kids and maybe leading them to do the wrong thing and you're too chicken to stick your nose into it. Jesus would say, there's got to come a time if you're going to improve that relationship to say, no more, cut it out. I've given you warning after warning after warning. And this is what Jesus said. Man, I gave her time here. I told her. And she won't quit. There's got to come a time when you say, get out. You're not welcome anymore. Get out. And he goes to the next church, Sardis. Sardis is a church that looks like everything's operating well. You've seen families like this? You've seen families where you turned around and all of a sudden he'd moved out and you go, what in the world just happened? I thought that was the perfect family. You know? Well, there are churches like that. There are nations like that. Everybody wants to be like America. Nobody understands what deep trouble this country's in. Everybody wants to have money. Nobody understands what that brings. But here we go. He Looks at Sardis and he says, you know what, you, you got everything together, but you have death inside. You know why? Because you don't take initiative anymore. Wake up, he says. Come on! Realize what you've got. Here's a church that is just kind of running on autopilot. They've got all kinds of programs. People come, probably, to their church say, well, how do you do worship? Well, well, how do you do your education? This, this is a perfect running church, but they are on autopilot. Hmm. Do you ever feel like the relationships you have are on autopilot? Do you ever feel like the, the, the roles that you have defined in your family or in your job, you could do them in your sleep, and you usually do. They're dead inside, and there's this creeping emptiness and you keep staving it off and you say, well, I know it's dead and I know we haven't had a meaningful conversation for years but but it's working so well. That's what happens, by the way, when you kind of lose your edge, when you lose your vision. And when you don't talk about the details anymore. and When you haven't got courage to, to face the, the people who might destroy it. You get to the stage where you are very well preserved in the embalming sense. And then, he goes to Philadelphia. Again, is a, that one of the two struggling churches. Philadelphia just a weak church. hang not got much going for it. And he goes to this church. He doesn't make any demands on it whatsoever. He says, hang in there. Just hang in there. Stay faithful. And then he comes to Laodicea. The church that is absolutely in the worst shape of them all, the end of the progression. And he says, Holy cow. You guys just think you've got it together. He doesn't even say everybody else thinks you got it together. He just says you think you got it together. You think you're all well. You think you have no need. Man, you are poor and blind and wretched. And the worst thing about it is that because you don't think you have any needs anymore, nothing disturbs you. You are this well-running organization. You are this church that nothing bothers. There are no... I mean, you could turn on the news and just sit there and say, mm-mm-mm, click. David Leonard and Letterman comes on pretty soon. You have no needs. How many of you feel like You've got a relationship right now where Christ isn't the center and you actually like it like that. Because if Christ was the center, it'd mess it up. And you're running it pretty good right now. And you think you've got what you need. You're in the worst shape of all. Absolute worst shape of all. God would look at your relationship, I'd like to spit you out of my mouth. As a matter of fact, I'm going to. If you don't get back, zeal. If you don't get back to the place where you will improve what is good to the extent you'd give your life to take a chance on improving it, you would give up the relationship itself because you are not satisfied. Now let me tell you something about God's character that comes out In this book again and again and again. It's this way from Genesis to Revelation. It's one of these great lessons that God has always been trying to teach us. God says you never, ever, ever stop trying to improve things in a radical way. You are never satisfied. You never go into autopilot. You never go into maintenance mode. You never just try to protect what you've got and avoid the bad news. You always, always give your life to improve things. Look at what happened when he put them in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. Did God put them down there and say, look, y'all just hang out? Do you realize that when he put Adam into paradise, he said, improve it? Improve it. Cultivate it. Keep it. Improve it. Make something that wasn't there. And then he gave Eve to help him improve it. We look at our relationship. We say, well, they're pretty good like they are. God's saying, if I wasn't satisfied with paradise, you think I'm satisfied with that relationship? Improve it. We look at our church and say, well, things are going pretty good. Maybe we ought to just kind of do what we've been doing. If it ain't broke, don't break it. God says, if it ain't broke, break it. Do it all over again. We used to have a person here who used to get so disgusted with us because we were always coming up with these new visions, you know. We'd come off our knees and say, Oh, I think God wants something radically different. He used to get so mad, he'd say, Oh, great, this is new beginning number 249. He'd say, Why can't you guys just deal with a plan and stick with it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the potter has a right to break the pot and to start all over again. Says that in Jeremiah 18. You can read it, but you gotta live through it. God's always got a vision that's important enough for you to give your life for. Do you understand that the strategy of Satan most often is not to confront you with horrible catastrophe? Do you know why? Because that caused for an equal and opposite reaction. He knows that if he calls you, he knows if he gets you the most dependent, the most scared, he knows who you're going to go running to. If you have anything to do with God right now, that's exactly who you're going to go run into. So therefore, Satan is not going to, most of the time, fight you with horrible catastrophe. You know what he's going to do? He's going to suck out, bit by bit, imperceptibly, the vision for your life. He's going to put you to sleep. He's going to say, you know, things are going pretty good right now. You ought to just kind of maintain this pace. Rest up here. Don't try anything too risky now. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying he who would save his life will lose it. You've got to go for the gold. You've got to have a vision that's more important than yourself. I read a book this week about the government it's called demosclerosis i love that title demosclerosis it was written by jonathan r-a-u-c-h rauch and its theme was this that government is not a bad thing and i agree government is not a bad thing i agree that the reason that our government seems overwhelming is because it is overwhelming and the reason it is overwhelming is because the tail is wagging the dog and the reason the tail is wagging the dog is because the dog's too stinking lazy to wag the tail. The government isn't our problem we're the problem. The theme of the book was that the reason that the government seems so overwhelming is because bit by bit people have demanded these things called entitlements. I have a right to this. And so bit by bit, we go to this mother government who is supposed to fix up all of our problems. The government's just doing what we demand. And what happens over a period of time? What has happened is 80% of our national budget is now entitlement programs that you can't get rid of. Bush tried to get rid of 248 of them. He succeeded in his four years of eliminating six out of the 248. Nobody wants to give up their little Little bitty improvements on the program. Nobody's willing to risk just starting all over again. So you've got this huge ship with fifty tons of barnacles on it. Now let me ask you if that's not the same case with your lives. You started out lean and mean. You know? You started you started looking at another person, whatever it takes. You started like that with Jesus, whatever it takes. You want me to go to Africa? Pack my bags, I'm ready to go. You, you, you start out that with you like that with your wife. You know, let's live in an apartment. It doesn't matter. We don't need it. We'll eat cereal. I just want to be with you. And now you 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 got all kinds of meetings every night. I'm sorry, honey, I, I got I'm I'm the grand high potentate of the of the of the you know celebrated moose of something or other. Got a meeting. See? i got my 15th Little League practice this week. I, I'm sorry. I'll see you later. And, and son, you know, if I had time. All of these good things came along and attached themselves to your life. The church is not blameless in this, by the way. The church has just as much of this sclerosis as the government does. We've got 500 programs. The longer a church exists, the more programs it accumulates and the more programs you can't kill, whether you try to or not. And we turn around and we look at this world that's absolutely going down the tubes and we say, I guess we can't fix that with a church program, can we? And we seem absolutely helpless. And I tell you, the only thing that will fix the world is a church that is willing to absolutely give itself away to the needs of other people in the name of Jesus Christ. Not to go to their little church programs. Not to organize their last little church so everybody can feel good. But to absolutely give yourself to the work of Jesus Christ and speak the Word of God in the world of encouragement and help in doing what people need as God directs it. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference in this world. I don't know where... We lost the dream of being heroes, but we better get it back. Because what we think is so good, to God is lukewarm. I don't know where we lost the knowledge that unless we were willing to give it all up, it didn't have life. Unless we were willing to sacrifice big, unless we were willing to risk big, that we really couldn't give it what it was need. but we better get it back. Let me tell you something I think will make you mad. But it's right in the spirit of these these pages right here. Let's talk about Haiti for a minute. Let's talk about what we're about to do in Haiti for a minute. Now, you know me, and you know that I am not President Clinton's biggest fan. You know that. Let me tell you something. When any president or any politician comes on the television and says, A, there are people who are getting killed and they need our help and we need to do something not because it's politically popular or expedient or not because it will serve the interests just of us, but we need to do something because it's right. I say, God, thank you. Finally, a person who on this basis at least, at this instance at least, will be able or wants to make a decision on the basis that it's right. I would give anything for all the decision makers in this country, including the decision makers in the household to make decisions on that basis. Not because it would improve your status or it would make you comfortable or it would give you more of what you want, but do it because it's right. That's what we need. We need people who will lay down their lives for a cause that's bigger than themselves, even when you don't need to. This country doesn't need to do that. But do you realize where we've come? Listen to the conversation here. Where not only America, but the other superpowers in the world are subject not to machismo anymore, not to that manly go out and rescue everybody and so on and so but mimismo. That is a technical term that's used in foreign affairs uh, Uh, policies these days called mothering. Let me tell you where, where countries used to be. We used to have people, men and women, we still do have men and women, by the way, in the armed forces, who are gladly there to risk their lives for something that is more important to them than their individual lives. There used to be entire countries who saw that vision, who says, you know what, there's something just more than important than my physical life, and I'll give my life for it. We have come down to countries, not just the United States, who say, you know what, if there's any risk of any American soldier, no matter how many people are dying over here, we won't take it. In there is inherent two assumptions. The first assumption is that Haitian lives aren't as important as American lives. And I don't believe God sees it like that. The second assumption is this. That the most important thing is not getting our soldiers hurt. Now watch this. This is from a country that we live in that experiences a death by gunshot every 14 minutes you know what that means? That means that slowly Satan is eating up this country as we kill each other because we don't have the courage to stand up and say, No, we're not doing that anymore. There's something more important than our safety. And that is something heroic that we'll give our lives up for. We can't do that in foreign policy. We won't do it in this country. And you know what? For that reason... If that doesn't change, if people continue just to try to protect their stuff, we will go down the tubes. And it will happen to the church, and it will happen to the family. There's got to be something more important than your stuff, than your happiness, than your fulfillment, or all is lost. That's what Jesus was saying to the church. That's what He's been saying from the beginning of time. And that's what He says to us now. Now, what can we do? We can repent. We can say, you know what, God? I've been a selfish child. I've tried to get my needs met every way I could. When I realized what it means to grow up is to give myself for somebody else. Whether or not they deserve it. That's the stance I ought to have. When I've got life running just right. That's when I ought to be most alarmed. Because That's when Satan will try to say, you know what, don't give yourself up anymore. you just got it going for you here. When I belong to a church that, that just is so neat that it seems like we ought to just be glad for who we are. That's the very church that ought to go out and just give itself away. In the neighborhoods and, and to the people, the poor people who, who need its resources, that's the church that ought to do that. And I belong to a government that looks to see what interest group will take it which way. That's when the church ought to say, you know what, I'm not going to just rest on being the political right anymore. I'm going to give myself in every form, infiltrate this culture in every form. I don't have to have my way politically, but you will not have this country taken over by barbarians without a fight from me. I'm going to speak the Word of Christ everywhere I go. And I'm not going to let Satan have my relationships. I'm not going to let him have my family. I'm not going to ha- let him have my marriage or my kids. I'm not going to do that. Because I'm going to actually take initiative. I'm actually going to love them. Like I've always, going to, I've always wanted to love them. But I haven't had to because life was just kind of running on autopilot. I'm not going to live like that anymore. Pray with me. God, as we go into these last few songs about building your kingdom, as we go into the thought about what it is to build the church, God, I would ask you just to come and confront us in ways that make us very uncomfortable. Just like you did with these churches, come to this church and say thank you for believing me in me but that's not enough I have this against you say to some of us you have lost your edge and I don't like that I want you to come and have that first kind of initiating enthusiastic kind of love again say to some of us you have permitted your mind and your midst to be filled with heresy and lies you are reading trash You are looking at trash. They are all false teaching. Get them out of your midst. Say to some of us, you have allowed people to bully you and those you love without ever confronting them. No more. Go to them and in love say, you will not have that kind of domination. You will not have that kind of influence on those that I love. Say to some of us, you know you look so slick and you're so dead and you know it. Wake up. Realize what I've given you. Put your life into what I've given you. Sacrifice for what I've given you. And some of us, God, feel like we've got to all together. Those will probably be the hardest to get to this morning. And so I would pray this for them. If they're sitting here satisfied, do whatever it takes to get their attention. God, I would pray out of love this prayer no mercy. No mercy. If you need to hit them with a two before, hit them with a two before. Better that. Than their souls be lost. Better that than they drift along with the world into the garbage pit at the end. No mercy. And Father, if there are people here who have never given their lives to you because they were afraid of the risk, let them right now say, "I don't want this anymore. I want You." Come into my life, Lord Jesus. It's You. It's no longer I who live, but you who live in me. Make of my life what will glorify yourself. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.